A potpourri. The experts potpourri. I'm Aggie Hewitt. I'm Irene Marquette. And this is our second experts potpourri where we pick a random word and then pick a story or like something to talk about based on that word. Yeah, so we can tell each other about things. Last week, we um, the random word that we got from the random word generator was van, yeah. and we were both like, yes, and we uh, did the exact same thing, which was the uh, Christopher McCandless story. But is the random word generator stupid? What do you mean? I mean, is that like a dumb way to get the thing? Should we just pick any random story? Should we just pick any random shit that we want to talk about? Like, without a theme. Well, is the random word, I mean, is it good? Is it dumb? That is a great question for us to consider during the course of this episode. I just don't know. I'm just thinking about it. I'm just wondering. But I don't want anyone to tell me their opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, feelings If you think it's dumb. Yeah. Well, let's see how this works out, because last time we picked the exact same thing, and this time, um, our, go ahead. Yeah, this time the word was palace. Palace. Yeah. Palace. And I picked one thing to talk about. What did you pick? I mean, did you pick- I also also picked one thing to talk about. What if it's the exact same thing? What's that? What if it's the exact same thing again? I don't know. Um, well, who wants to go first? Either. Okay. I want to tell you about something that, um, is, has been very near and dear to me for a really long time. Okay. Okay. So you know that I like freaky stuff, like freaky art, freaky, like weird stuff. I love when people make weird stuff. I yeah. see those like those like Louise Bourgeois like spiders and they like make me so happy. Okay. Um so there are a few examples of people who like went off the rails and just made something because they were like pathologically driven to do it. Okay. And they're like big structures. So the thing that I'm thinking about with our suggestion of palace is um, a structure in France called the ideal palace that was created by a French postman named Ferdinand Cheval. Okay. I've never heard of this. So this is Okay, I'm really glad. Okay, so Ferdinand Cheval was, uh, like I said, he was a French postman, and he was born in 1836 in, like, this little town kind of, like, to the south um, east of, of France. Like, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Okay. The, um, there was a time that I went to France, and I took a train, like, to the south, of it and I really wanted to go there and I wanted to see this building but you had like there's no train that goes there you have to like rent a car I didn't have a driver's license it was I was alone it was a whole thing so I didn't end up going but it is on my list of things to do okay so he was a postman and the story is that he at some point in his life he had this like crazy dream about um uh he uh about a a palace, a beautiful palace. And he forgot about the dream until one day in 1879, he's 43 years old, he's on his route, he trips over a stone, he picks up the stone and he like, the dream like comes like rushing to his head. And he realizes that he has to build 
this palace. So this dream palace. So it takes him 33 years. What? So he starts at 43. He starts at 43 and um, yeah, for 33 years, he picked up, uh, so he's, you know, a rural French, I mean, just picture it. So with his little hat and his little mustache. I'm imagining a hat and a mustache and like a sack full of mail, just like idealistically staring at like a plot of land and being like, that's where I will build my palace. My palace, my dream palace. And it's yeah. like this stone that like triggered his thought. Yes. So he, on his daily routine for 33 years, he would just like pick up stones or like pieces of glass or like shards of pottery or whatever. And he collected it and he just started building it. And um, it's, so spectacular it's so and and it's so um it's so unusual it's so beautiful and he wasn't a trained architect he didn't have like any skills or uh like school he didn't like plan he just like was driven by his instincts oh my god are you looking at pictures of it i just looked it up yes how would you describe what you're seeing it looks like if there was a sandcastle that was also made out of like seashells, like it looks like it belongs in, it looks like it's from another world. I can't really say that it seems like it's any like type of architecture that I could like really point to or like say that it it doesn't look like anything I've ever seen. It looks like organic, like it grew out of the earth. Yes. Um, it has these like huge ornate like columns and towers and spires and this like weird staircase thing and these crazy archways and maybe little gargoyles on it or something. It's really elaborate and really interesting. That's insane. And he just like stacked pebbles on top of each other until it became this palace. Yeah, it's made with, um, it's uh, fortified with uh, lime mortar and cement. And um, he finished it in 1912. And it like, like the French were like, oh, an artiste, uh, we must protect it. <laughs> They're Italians. <laughs> so they, they like, um, it's been like a historical site uh since then but it's like it stood up great and they do it's like a huge tourist site they get i don't know like hundred thousand people there a year people have weddings there they do art shows like could you imagine like seeing a music performance can you go in it yeah you can walk around in it you can walk on the grounds and I don't know which pictures you're looking at but it's pretty expansive too it's it's not just like one little um section it 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 really it kind of sprawls out the only thing that it kind of reminds me of in terms of like an architectural touchstone is Mm -hmm. it feels a little Angkor Wat-esque I don't know who's that uh it's a um it's an um here I'm gonna send you a picture um did you ever see that movie in the mood for love? Yes. It's w- when uh, they whisper their secret. He whispers a secret in the wall. I, think, I mean, I saw it when it came out. Um, it's uh, in Cambodia. But it, it is kind of like that organic looking um, structure where that sort of like wet sand castle thing, you know, where you just like let it run out of your hand. Yeah, it definitely has this same sort of um, energy. (laughs) But he uses, like, I think there are Asian influences, and there's also, like, Christian deities and, like, animals and people and, you know, things get really abstract in there. He was, um, the Surrealists loved him. Yeah, it's definitely, well, I mean, I... I would love to see like where it is because it just seems like something that is like 
Like, where is it? Like, what's around it? There's not a lot that surrounds it. It, you, it. It's pretty far to get to. It's like a. It's just like a little kind of rural town, and it's. Um, my impression of it is that it's like a little bit dry and dusty. It looks the, dry and dusty. What's that? It looks dry and dusty. Yeah. Hotel uh, I guess, is what it's called. The town where. Where it was. There's something sort of like this in California. The um, Watchtower. I was thinking of the Ruble Castle. Oh. Which yeah. is made of, it was a very similar thing where it's like, I, I don't know who made it, but it was like a non-artist, I think. Is this the thing with the underground? They like grew all their vegetables in like underground passages. Um, it's it's very similar. It's like a tra it's like a castle that's made out of like rocks and pieces of trash. Yeah, like an elaborate an elaborate castle that's made of just like old bottles and things like that that were like found. Um and it's, I would love to go there. Yeah, I would too. I don't know why I've never been. I think it's like hard to get in or something. We, when this is all over, we should go there. Yes, it's in Glendora and it's made from discarded bottles, bed springs, typewriters, and trophies, according to. Oh my God, I love it. Yeah. Um, been to, uh, have you been to the Watchtowers? I've never been to the Watchtowers. Have you? Yes, I did a tour there. Um, uh, when I first moved to LA and it's, uh, really awesome and definitely worth going to. And he, um, he started building it. He was an Italian immigrant and he like lost his family. I forget the details of it, but ended up building, it looks like a ship. And yeah, it's just this monument to like grief and just I don't know. It's so it's so beautiful and it's so stark. And when if you do it, uh, pay for the tour, and they'll tell you, you know, all about like the significance in the neighborhood and the hardships that he went through. And because there was a, a huge fire that burned his original property down, it's it's an amazing story, and it's like. It's just such a cool thing. But that's all like pieces of glass, bottles, wires. They thought he was like a Russian spy. What is it that compels people to build a giant tower out of garbage? I don't know. I have thought about that a lot. And I find myself like drawn to these things and these people and the, the, the places I went to Salvation Mountain, which I think is a, a similar thing, which um, is out near the Salton Sea. And it's just another huge structure. And that is like, he made that to honor his faith. And to me, Watts is like, him making something beautiful out of his grief. And I know I'm being like so simplistic and reductive with it. And with Ferdinand Cheval, like, I don't know what it is with him. Like whatever that dream was, that was so strong that like guided him with such a clear purpose for 33 years to just little by little, like make this thing i don't under i don't know but i it's so um, it's amazing that people do it it's so it's so weird i mean it's like it's a it feels like something it feels like the most human thing to do because it's like something it's like it's just like human nature is to like build stuff out of whatever you find. I think that's like a, such a human impulse. And these people are just like, here's what I have and here's what I can build. Like I can just make a structure out of whatever I found. And like, that's where I am right now. It seems like, it seems like sort of, 
I don't know, like desperate, but not, not like in a, not in a bad way, but like, it just feels so, I don't know. Yeah. There's like, there's an urgency to it and there's like a solitude to it. Like you go into a cathedral or something and it's like, there's a similar focus there because they are creating this huge structure to, well, I mean, to drain money out of their, the people, but also like to inspire that feeling of awe and like the people who build it, you know, it takes like a century to build those things. Like they're every day, like if they believe they're, you know. Yeah. Well, and they're like incredible. Yeah. But that's like an organized, um, like culturally approved way to funnel like energy and resources. Yeah. But there's something uh, aberrant about a person just being like, well, I can just do it myself. Yeah. It's like literally apocryphal. It's like, I am not taking your word for it. Like I'm making my own weird, it's like satanic. (laughs) It is. If that's satanic, then I think I am satanic. Because they don't take, because yeah, like if you're doing it under the guise of organized religion and they're like, build this cathedral, well, then you're just like doing something normal. But if you're like, I'm driven to build this structure for no reason it like freaks people out it's like you have to see what's inside my head like what is inside me is so big and there's no other way for me to express it than to just like put all this shit together like this build this giant thing and then there'll be a giant thing here yeah you look at it (laughs) yeah but then if you do that in like new york city and make a billion dollars off it you're like a smart businessman but if you do it out in the middle of the desert with like bottles and trash then you're you know then you're nuts yeah and with you know with watts towers uh because he was doing this in like the 40s and 50s and like also just like the decade-long commitment for these things it's like years yeah, it's like, oh, we're in quarantine. Like, oh, a sourdough starter's hard or I don't want to finish my embroidery kit or whatever. It's like, these people are like, 40 years I have been. They have to do it. They have to do it and they're not done. It's like the ultimate poem. It's only abandoned. It's never completed. Yeah. They, uh, but um, uh, Watts Tower, he was run out of the neighborhood because of, um like Sputnik and they thought that these metal towers were communicating with the Russians. He was a spy. There's just like so much ignorance about, um, the world and, you know, people were pushing, you know, I mean, it's like, it's not like now it'd be any different. No, it would just have a different thing that they thought he was doing. Exactly. Which could be literally anything. So everyone is so stupid and crazy. It's true. Mm-hmm. he abandoned it and he went up um like on the he like went up the coast of california and uh they tried to tear it down but they like put um like chains around these trucks and they drove the trucks and it like moved the truck up in the air because he built it so it's it's like drilled into the yeah. ground it's yeah. like a big like hunk of concrete and then they were like oh it's actually really sturdy and it's kind of cool. <laughs> so we'll just like make it a historic site and charge people to look at it. Oh my God. That's crazy. Yeah. It's like, I hate people. Like why? <laughs> why people be like, chase this guy out and fucking tear it down. Like, what is this thing? Why is this hurting anyone? It's just like anything that's like a little bit different. I know. Instead of celebrating it or just being interested in it, it's like we have to destroy this immediately because we're afraid of it. Yeah, this is, this doesn't fit into how I think things should be. I hate everybody. <laughs> um, he was uh, Ferdinand Cheval, our, um, the Ideal Palace uh, creator. He, he feared that he was going to get um, scorned by the local community and he was and uh they thought that he was a madman and suddenly like 
it started getting published in national papers and it like gave it legitimacy and people were like, oh, I guess we can like it now. And then like tourists started showing up. But he um, wanted to be buried there and there's some like French law that you just can't, you can like build this huge thing, but they're like, oh, only in the graveyard. So he built a mausoleum to himself Aww. and he's buried at the ideal palace to this wow. day. Oh my God. That requires so much planning to be like, I am going to build my own mausoleum. I know. I mean, like, is the whole thing a mausoleum to his, himself? I mean, I think you could say yes, definitely. Wow. I really yeah. And maybe that was the dream, you know? Who knows what well, the dream was? I think the dream is like always to leave something of yourself behind. And these men who built these towers did it. Yeah. And I mean, not to like make it a whole gender thing, but you know, women are the biological creators. What, what is it about? Um, we don't generally see women just like going into the woods and like compulsively no. making, making some structure. And then wasn't there just that whole article about how like buildings are sexist or something? Cause they all look like big dicks coming in the sky or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I didn't read it but I heard people talking about it on Twitter <laughs> I didn't read it but I knew about it um I knew about that sort of conversation because also where we both lived in Chicago for many years there was this building that was just called the vagina building yes. I don't know what it was really called I'm googling it right now but it was famously it's the crane communications building. It was designed by a female architect and it was meant yes. to like stick it to the idea that skyscrapers look like dicks. And this one, it's the same basic shape, but the top of it kind of look, looks like labia to labia to make it, you know, a female building. So there you go. Uh, 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 okay. I, um, yeah, this is one of those topics where I do not have a dog in this fight. <laughs> I don't have a dog. Well, the thing I just don't under, I mean, I don't know. Oh, this wasn't designed. I always thought that this, the idea about it was it was designed by a woman, but this is designed by someone named Sheldon Schlegman. Sounds female to me. Don't Sheldon? be sexist, Maggie. Sheldon Schlegman? I'm kidding. Well, I did. Well, I did one of those architectural book to, uh, architectural boat tours in Chicago, and they definitely told that story that you just told. Yeah, it's like one of the only things that I really know about Chicago architecture because, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of the, Wil the Wilco Towers. Well, yeah, the Wil the, which are like parking garages. Yes. Um. Yeah. I love Chicago architecture. Chicago architecture is great. Chicago is beautiful. And if you ever go, you have to do the boat tour because it's yeah. the architectural boat tour is just so great. It's awesome. Man, summertime in Chicago. I know. I mean, that lake. That lake. The I, would do, I did a couple Groupons where you like get on like a big sailboat. You did? Yeah. I don't and think it, I ever went on a sailboat on the lake. Well, if you go back, do a group, if Groupon still exists, <laughs> get yourself like a $20 sailboat ride. Yeah, that sounds really fun. I don't think I ever went out on it. I mean, I went swimming in it, which, you know, may or may not have been a good idea, <laughs> but I never went on a boat in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mm, that's, that's all I got. I, um, I found, uh, just a button on our little French postman. Um, uh, Anais Nin. How do you say her name? I always said Anais Nin. Just how you just said it. You know that, uh, there's a song by Jewel where she name checks her. I did not know that. Yeah, she says, you can be Henry Miller and I'll be Anais Nin, mm. but this time would be much better. We'll stay together in the end. Do you know it? 
No. Well, I, I was a dual girl. Uh, but anyway, for years, I thought that you pronounced it as Anais because of that. I think some people might say it that way, but I've, I just always said Anais Nim. Yeah, I think that that's the way to do it. She wow. wrote about uh, Ferdinand Cheval. Um, if you Google him, this is like what's also so crazy about Wikipedia and just like these articles. Like I was scrolling through pages of searches and uh, the phrasing for that, cause I did a search of like Ferdinand Cheval, Anais Nin, cause supposedly she wrote an essay about him mm -hmm. and I wanted to read the essay that she wrote and in post after post, like 30 posts, it just said that she wrote an essay about him in like the exact same phrasing. I you know? hate this damn, well, whatever. I mean, I because don't like people just go on Wikipedia and they just like copy and paste the Wikipedia and then they're like, bored panda takes you to the ideal palace. And it's like the, just the exact, they just like cut and paste. It's so, it's so it's crazy. So I found, um, I, I wasn't able to, I have reserved the work uh, to get as an ebook from the Los Angeles Public Library, but she wrote a book called um, "In uh, in in defense of sensitive men." Have you heard of this? No, I'm <laughs> no. Uh, in favor of the sensitive man and other essays. And I think it, it is uh, in there that she references it and also in a book that she did about um, the novel. And I, yeah, that's all. So I didn't find anything good except. It's out there, but you have to buy it. It's out there, but you have to buy it or you have to check it out of the library. I see. If you really want to read that dusty ass cultural critique, which maybe I do. I mean, the only Anais Nin that I've ever read was like erotic poems when I was in high school, which I don't remember. And I think I probably just like thought I seemed cool for being like, I love the poems of Anais Nin. Yeah. So her diaries. The diary. Yeah. The diary that she wrote in pencil because um, so that the ink wouldn't stain the sheets. That's what I remember about her, which is not any poem. That's just like a rumor <laughs> or like. That the ink stained the sheets? Yeah, because she like wrote it in bed. It was like her version of saying she slept in Chanel number five. It was like sexy. Like, oh, she writes it in bed. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so here's mine. Mine, I'm scared that mine is like also kind of bad because like last time I was kind of scared because it was technically a bus. This time it's even less you know, on brand, basically when I was thinking about a palace and like what a palace means to me, <laughs> I started thinking about like royalty, tradition, like family legacies and like what that looks like in America and like what American palaces are. And I started thinking about Sorry, I have to take you on like the way that my mind Take me on the journey. Yes, I'm, I'm ready for the journey. Taking you on the journey. So I started thinking about like American, Southern American plantations and Southern American heritage. And it made me think about the conversation that's been happening about monuments in America recently mm -hmm. because... I, a couple of weeks ago when the like protests were happening and people were like trying to take the monuments down and a lot of them did come down, I got in this like K-hole about the group that put the monuments up, which is the United Daughters of the Confederacy. And that's what I want to talk about. So... I mean, is that okay? I mean, a palace. I think it's great. No, no. I think it's great. I totally, I, I'm tracking your train of thought. We're talking, yeah. I mean, what is a palace? Like when I was looking at it too, before I landed on mine, I was thinking about like, what is the pro, I was thinking 
also in a similar vein of like, what are the protocols? Like if you're a commoner and you approach the palace, like, what does that mean? So anyway, I, um, yeah. What's that? And, um, yes. And like a palace is like a symbol of a, a status and a monument is a symbol. And this is how I got to it. And if it's wrong, Hey, this is, I don't want to be right. If that's wrong, I don't want to be right. Okay. So I got really into, I, I'm not into, but I got like kind of obsessed with this group because the daughters of the Confederacy, United daughters of the Confederacy. So I got basically everything that I know about the, the United daughters of the Confederacy comes from this one professor. And I think Raleigh named Dr. Karen Cox, Karen L. Cox. She's on Twitter. She's all over. Um, she has a book called Dixie's Daughters. She has a, like an hour long lecture that someone filmed and put on YouTube that you can go and watch. Most of what I'm talking about today came from this article that just like condensed everything that was like an op-ed she wrote in the New York times, um, after Charlottesville. Um, and she's just been like writing about this organization and talking about them for like decades and she's like as far like everything that I've ever read about them it always like whenever I do a google search about them and I'll be like oh this seems interesting she wrote it so I would just like a member of it or is she like a documentary she's a a history professor she's not a member of it she's a she's like an academic person um and I would definitely like recommend like reading her scholarship about it So, um, a lot of people know that the monuments that are all over the United States, which like are number in like the hundreds, if not the thousands, no one even knows exactly how many there are. There are like monuments trackers where people are trying to find out like every single monument that exists. There are mostly they're obviously in the South, but there are monuments everywhere. There are some, and even in California, like they're all over the country, but they're mostly obviously in the South. And a lot of people know that the organization that created, that put up the the Confederate monuments was this group called the United Daughters of the Confederacy. Um, This group was founded in 1894. And when they started in Nashville, they had 30 women in attendance. And then within the next 30 years, they had 30,000 women. And by world, so they started twenty years after the Civil War. They did. Okay. By World War One, it had it was up to a hundred thousand people. So and women. So this group it started right after yeah, like you said, twenty years after the Civil War, and their, um, they were when they say the daughters of the Confederacy, they literally were like the daughters, wives, widows, of people who fought in the Confederacy. And one of their goals was to get, like, they started off by doing things like trying to make, like, nursing homes for soldiers who had been, like, wounded in the war and stuff like that. Like, trying to, like, take care of their, like, husbands and fathers, I guess. But they also, and most importantly, had, like, an ideological goal where they wanted to preserve their version of what they said the confederate states were about which to them was which is obviously untrue but they said that their main lies were that the confederate cause was honorable and that the civil war was about states rights and not slavery yeah the states rights to have slaves it was about the states rights to have slaves exactly so but they're the part like sort of so they developed this thing called the lost cause that was like the philosophy of the people of the time which like furthered the ideology of like the confederacy and further like just tried to basically like make say that slavery was like a benevolent institution that yeah that was like one of their big things that like people like it was great during the time of slavery and that like reconstruction was the worst thing that ever happened and they only referred to the civil war as either the war of Northern aggression or the war between the States. They never called it the civil war. And they were the group that was like, like I said, behind like all of the Confederate monuments. And the reason that they were so influential and able to get so many monuments put up is because they were like 
even though they weren't able to hold office or vote, they were married to or related by blood to like very prominent people, senators, Congress people, mayors, politicians. And they got these monuments put up all over the place. But the, that's not the craziest thing about them. The craziest thing is that the monuments were only like one part of what they were doing. And the other part of what they were doing was, I think, even more insidious, which was they had a true cause, which was to create what they called living monuments. And the living monuments were their children. So <gasps> the way they decided to do that was to go in through the schools. And like I said, they had all of this power. A lot of them were teachers because, like, that was, like, one of the few jobs women could have then. Oh, my God. And there's a quote from Karen Cox that says, the primary objective was to instill in Southern white youth a reverence for Confederate principles. So in the schools, they wrote lesson plans for the teachers. They published pro-Confederate books. Um, and made sure that those were the only history books that were allowed in the schools. There were like organizations, there were like um, state run, like quality checkers, I guess, basically that would like read textbooks and make sure that they were truthful. But the pamphlet that they used to check the facts of the history books was also written by the United Daughters of the Confederacy. So they just got a, like, they got a completely like, pro-slavery, pro-confederacy, like, indoctrination plan, basically. Um, and How far-reaching was this? Um, this was everywhere. This was, like, the entire South. Wow. It even extended some places outside of the South. So, um, it says one of the books was written by this woman named Laura Martin Rose. And that pamphlet that she wrote was just about the KKK and how great the KKK was. Um, she was from Pulaski, Tennessee, which is where they first, like the KKK first started. And it was based on like her relationship with like a person who was in the Klan. And um, any like regular history books had to be marked in some of the library, the school libraries as being unfriendly to the South or unsympathetic to the South. Um, another one that went out to a lot of the schools was by this woman named Mildred Rutherford. She wrote a bunch of them as well. And they were like critical of Abraham Lincoln. Another way that they reinforced their thought process was they had, um, UDC, United Daughters of the Confederacy sponsored essay contests. They went around and put portraits of Robert E. Lee in the schools. They named schools after him. They went into the school and they celebrated his birthday with the school children. They put Confederate flags in the schools, in, cl in classrooms all across the South. Oh my God. I what know. year is just like for context? Okay, so this literally happened from 20 years after the Civil War until like, they're still around today. Wow. I mean, it never stopped. Like, they, I don't think that it's really like this anymore, but I think that they, I think that they were running the school education system like this, at least until like the 60s or the 70s. Their main focus were they called the children of the 60s. So the people who were like enforcing segregation were all products of this type of education system. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then even like people in our parents' generation would have had like education like this if they were from the South. Was there a conscious move to get them like to disentangle the schools from that kind of ideology? Or is it one of those things where like, I don't really know about that. I don't know. I mean, I think they sort of lost power. I don't think that it was a conscious move. I think that like as time went on, women were able to get like work outside of the home or like hold their own elected office if they were because like a lot of these women were like really political animals and would have probably been running for like you know office as republicans yeah um but they weren't able to when 
when the Daughters of the Confederacy was like at its most powerful, which was like at this point, and then in the like, I think it was like between like 18, whatever I said, 1860, and like around World War One, World War like, and like, yeah, World War One was like when it was like at its most powerful. I think most of the statues went up around World War One, but in 1913 they were able to get one put up in um, Arlington which is the most insane. They were able to get a lot of shit. They got the, they lobbied and got Confederate veterans um, military pensions. Um, Veteran, like Confederate veterans. Confederate veterans, military pensions from the United States. Whoa. They basically, after losing the war, they like continued to have an ideological war and they base and they won the ideological war in the yeah. South. Um, there are, there are like these um, pictures that I found of them in the, I don't know, this probably would have been like the twenties, but this was going on. I mean, like this went on for like years. Yeah. Um, where they would have the children dress up in costumes and like get into formation to make a living Confederate flag. Like in really? the formation of the flag. Mm-hmm. Like it looks like North Korea. Like they're so indoctrinated into this type of belief that these kids like didn't even, I mean, they didn't know. I mean, not, it's not an excuse because they grew up, but they were truly brainwashing like all of the white Southern children to believe this. When I hear this and like, again, I don't want to be over simplistic or like whatever, but mm-hmm. do you, I mean, these are widows, daughters, uh, mothers, like you were saying of people who fought in the war and like came home or didn't come home. Do you think that there's a certain amount of like, we have to justify this sacrifice that our loved one made? It's like, I love this person. I can't believe that this person is so wrong. Like, I'm just going to turn off my instincts and double or triple down. Like, what do you think it is that makes that even exist? I mean, I wish I believed that, but I think that they probably just believed it I think that like yes there was a there was an element of it that was just about like taking care of these men who like had fought in this stupid fucking war on the wrong side and lost and but those were their husbands and um fathers and brothers and you know of course they still wanted to like protect these people and care for them so that was part of it and I think then like you know, protecting the ideology of it, I think was an extension of that. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, weird, how much of racism in general has to do with like tribalism, family connectedness and all of that. But it was just, I, I do think that they genuinely believed what they said. I mean, I think that they thought they were right. Damn. Yeah. Um, And they thought that um, they formed these groups called the Children of the Confederacy, which was for boys and girls six to 16. And it was like supposed to be a direct pipeline because they like needed new members to always be joining the, the groups. There's also a men's one called like the Sons of the Confederacy or something. And now that's like the more... The Daughters of the Confederacy is, like, no one's really in it anymore. It's, like, they're really aging. Like, there's – young people don't join it. Like, it's just not – Yeah. It's not as powerful as it once was. But the men's group, I believe – I don't think it's as powerful as the women's group was at its height, but it's definitely more powerful right now. And what is the, like um, – do you have any information about, like, the – pipeline between that and like joining the clan like well, how intermingled the, are these racist fucking well, what the karen cox said so like obviously in the beginning 
they were very connected and like I can't imagine that they weren't like married to men who were like in that group at the time some of them I don't know obviously like I got I don't know if the clan is like anonymous or whatever I don't think a lot of people know everything about it but I did watch this in this lecture that she gave where she said that um, when the Ku Klux Klan first started, it was more, I guess, I don't want to say prestigious, but it was like elites. It was like wealthier men who were doing it yeah. and then it went away for a while and then came back after Birth of a Nation came out. God damn. I know. And after the resurgence, I think it was seen as like a more blue collar organization. Mm-hmm. And According to Karen Cox, in this one lecture, she said that they probably wouldn't have had as much to do with them the second time because they're total, like, elitists. And most of the people who join the group, um, they technically, it's like you have to have, be able to trace your bloodline back to someone who fought in the Confederate Army, but they prefer people who were, like, rank, like higher ranking officers, and they're sort of it um i mean they'll at this point i think they'll take just about anybody who wants to join it because nobody wants to be in it anymore but like i think at the time it was um i think at one point it was like very like i said like all of these people were like related to like senators and stuff and that's how they were able to get all this shit done so sickening to it's sickening, but when I learned about this, it, like, blew my fucking mind the scope at which, like, this, just, like, how multi-pronged and intentional this, like, total misinformation campaign, what, or, like, disinformation, I don't know, whatever, campaign was in these schools. Yeah. And, like, every single person who went to public school in the South was getting these school books, was having these flags in their classrooms, was celebrating Robert E. Lee Day, like as if it was like President's Day or something, like as if it was like another national holiday that you would celebrate. And like, they would go into the schools and they wrote these um, catchisms. Do you know what those are? No. There are these call and response it's another thing that's like north korea it's like these call and response chants that they would the the children in the children of the confederacy would have to memorize so one of them was okay the question is what caused what caused um the war between the states between 1861 and 1865. And the answer that was memorized by the kids was the disregard on the part part of the states of the North for the rights of the Southern or slaveholding states. And then the question again was what were those rights? And then the kids would answer in unison, the right to regulate their own affairs and hold slaves as property. So they would have the kids in like a call and response acknowledge. Yes this and then but also not acknowledge that that it's like george orwell double think it's like we own slaves but that was good but it's not but it wasn't about that but it was but it was more about the idea that we couldn't do it but we did own slave it was just like it's just like nonsense wow it's nonsense and it's, I mean, that's so difficult for, like, a child to sort through, much less, you know, I mean, uh, and, and, and uh, yeah, that's. It's like, I would think that you would have to be, like, a Stalinist, like, totalitarian, like, psychiatrist or something. <laughs> like, I wouldn't, like, to come up with some, with stuff like that. But it was, like, these old ladies and these, like, little old Southern ladies were doing it. Yeah, and I mean, it reminds it reminds me of like the um, like Adam Curtis documentaries, and you, you watch like Century of Self, and he talks about um, Freud's nephew Edward Bernays taking his uncle's theories and using like his understanding of psychology to help inform PR and advertising, and mm-hmm. it's like these women understood inherently like 
if you want to control the next generation, you impact the way that they're taught from the time that they're children. Yeah, they knew it. And they, I mean, to call your own child a living monument to your ideology. Wow. Is so disturbing. And so, yeah, like I said, they became segregationist. They became the segregationists of the 50s. Wow. They became the people who fought for the right to fly the Confederate flag, who said things like states' rights, the war was about states' rights. People like Strom Thurmond were one of them. And Karen Cox says in her New York Times article that it's very likely that also Jeff Sessions, who was raised in mid-century um, Alabama, was like a victim of this as well. A victim, I guess, if you want to call it. Or yeah. Like education. I mean... At a, I mean, at a certain point, like you, you are responsible for your, um, for understanding your place in the world and like, uh, oh, but sure. I'm talking about a, a child. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're victims of like, they're being brainwashed. Well, it's like, you're a victim until you're not, but it's like, I do, I mean, very, they clearly were, I mean, this is just so well thought out. So calm. So competently done um and it was so sprawling um and it just scares me when we have the conversation about monuments which i think they should take all of the monuments down yes um, i agree with you take them down we should take them all down but even if you take them all down like half the country are still these living monuments who've had this education Yeah, how do you dismantle that monument? How do you dismantle that palace in your mind? Yes, the palace of the mind. Aggie, this is very disturbing. I think so too. I'm sorry. This is what I said. This is what I had to talk about. I just, it's so crazy I'm to me. sorry. No, it's good to talk about it. It's just so disturbing. It is. And I think, um, you know, it's important for any, like, culture to examine like what their children are are learning in school and to be active in that and it's why Betsy DeVos is such a uh horrible person to have have in charge like they don't have the best interests of the children or the community or the future in mind like it is so um single-minded and like what you're talking about feels like a, a turning point you know um, yeah, I mean, well, this was all able to happen because people sort of lived, people were more, people didn't know what was happening on the other side of the country, you know, and no internet. there was no internet, there was no Twitter, there was no, um, there wasn't just like this uniformity of education, which we all sort of have. I even, I asked Brian, my boyfriend about it, who grew up in Louisiana. And I was like, did you have these weird textbooks? And he was like, no, we had like, you know, whatever the same textbooks. It's a Bible. <laughs> no, I mean like they had, cause now it's like everyone just gets like these like weird, like scholastic or whatever, like books that from like these like giant publishing corporations that contract with every school, you know, in the country or something. I mean, those are the kind of textbooks we had in school. Did you and have? That's what, yeah, that's what I had too. I think now there's just like more uniformity, but like, um, people still believe. And all, another thing that she said was that like people who were raised believing this stuff went and moved to other parts of the country. They moved everywhere. Sleeper cells. Sleeper cells, yeah. It's just crazy to me that there's like a, there's like a North Korea style, like re-education program happening in the United States, or there was for like a century and nobody knew about it. And people still don't talk about it. Like people still don't talk about the United Daughters of the Confederacy, like all people don't talk about the education system that happened there, which is like the most terrifying thing I've ever heard in my life. 
Yeah. I, uh, how, how do you, how do you think we fix it? I think that it's just like, you know, the Israelites in the desert, you know, for 40 years, they just have to fucking die out. Damn. Wait a second. Can you break that down for me? Oh yeah. Well, in the, I mean, I know about the Israel, they, they were running from the Pharaoh. Yeah. And then God made them wander around in the desert for 40 years so that the, um, older generation would like forget. I mean, it's actually not a very good analogy because the idea is that he had, they had to forget like their mentality of being like enslaved in the, so that they, and like the younger generation would be like more autonomous. That was what. That's why they did that. Not so that they would hide. No. That is amazing to me. Well, That's what they told me in Hebrew school. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, no, no, I don't think that, I don't think that you are wrong. I think, well, I mean, in this kind of, it's, uh, yeah, education, I went to Catholic school and we, when we talked about that, like, we didn't examine it in that kind of, um, like existential way. It was the way that I understood it. Like they went to hide from the Pharaoh and they like got lost in the desert. Oh, we talked, I mean, cause like basically the Jews, like our only story, like all we talked about was Moses basically. I mean, we talked about like Abraham and stuff a little bit, but like Moses was our main, cause we didn't have Jesus. So it's like, it's either that or like how to build a tabernacle. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot. I mean, so, Moses is like, great. You know, you look at it from all angles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wish we had looked at it from all angles. Yeah. Well, anyway. Do you think that we've looked at the idea of, of palace from all angles? I mean, I think that we've looked at the idea of palace from too many angles. I would say just the right amount. All right. Well, I'm glad that we got to talk about this stuff. Me too. I'm glad that you um, uh, brought up the... Um, daughters of the confederacy and uh karen 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 cox you have to, i got you can get her book from unc charlotte's website which i did get i like i don't know i think that she's like i i just think that she's like a really good writer and really cool i don't know how i stumbled upon her as like but i just think that she's She's been like talking about this group of women for like years. I think this book was published in like 2004 or something. She's just been like, do you guys know about the United Daughters of the Confederacy and how crazy they are? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah. But it's like, she's really, doing, she's like been talking about them for years. I, um, maybe we should take a deeper dive and like. Into Karen. Yeah, and like read a little bit more. I mean, I'd 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 love to get more um, familiar. She also has another book that I would love to read called *The Goat Castle*, um, which is a true story of murder, race, and the Gothic South. Whoa! Yeah, she has Dixie's Daughters, Destination Dixie, Tourism, and Southern History dreaming of Dixie, how the South was created in American popular culture. She's got tons of essays. She's got one called Gray Gardens of the South. Whoa. The South in mass culture. She's, seems cool to me. Maybe we should do a deeper dive. Yeah, I would be way down for that. Okay. Do you want to do that next week or do you want to pick up random word? Um, I, I have to say that I am liking the random words. Okay, let's do a random word and we'll put Karen on the back burner for another thing we're going to do. Yes, because that'll give us time to like, I'd, I'd, I'd like to get a hold of one of her books and like really do it right, you know? Yeah, I would too. I really want to read that Goat Castle one. Oh my God, I got the word and it's really good. <gasps> what is it's it? Word. Blackmail. Ooh. Isn't that good? That's really good. I'm excited. All right. So I'm going to pick something that's actually more on topic. I feel kind of like I didn't do that. Like, I feel like I just like was like, oh, this makes me think of this for some abstract reason. No, no. I think that you were, I think that you did the right thing. Like, I mean, what are you going to talk about? Like the changing of the guard? I knew you'd be supportive, but I still. 
Come on. That's what you it's all about. Talk about that lady who had the gun house. Oh, the uh, Winchester. But this was important. Every, people need to know about this. I think so. I mean, I learned something today. You've given me something to think about. You gave me something to think about. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. That's, I mean, we both are, th- I think that we're both walking away a little bit more experts on new topics. On life. Okay. So next week, experts potpourri, blackmail. Blackmail. We'll see you then. We'll see you then. Bye. Gonna trust the experts on this one. Yeah, you know, being sick ain't no fun. Open up your mouth, stick out your tongue. Gonna trust the experts. Gonna trust the experts.